you got your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 2 as we continue to go through the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 18, but today we're going to talk about, and this is the title, Antichrist and Christians. You heard that, right? Antichrist, in the plural, and Christians. Now, you've probably heard the idea of something being polar opposites, right? The idea we understand what opposites are, they are not even close to the same thing. They are, in fact, they're not identical in any way, shape, or form. And a lot of times we'll say that. If you have more than two children, oftentimes you'll make that statement. You'll say, my kids are complete opposites, you know? One of them's this and one of them's that. And to be honest with you, you might even say, well, they're polar opposites, but you'd be exaggerating because they're not complete and exact opposites. They might be different and they might have differences, but they're not polar opposites. And we used to think that because of the classifications in school. How many of you remember classifications in school, right? You know, there were the jocks, the rednecks, the geeks, right? We, we had all kinds of different classifications. We had the hoods, right? And so we'd say, man, they're, they're just opposites, complete opposites. Nobody is the... No, that's not true. That, you, those are classifications that we gave. They're not polar opposites. They weren't completely different. Now, if you were to look at what are real polar opposites, north and south, all right? They're complete polar opposites on the opposite side of the planet, the North Pole and the South Pole. They're complete opposites. That's a polar opposite. And here's there's something else that should be a polar opposite. You want to know what that is? Anti-Christians, anti-Christ, and Christians. Should be absolute polar opposites. There should be such a difference, such a change and a transformation in their lives that they don't look the same based on their character and what they believe. And that's what we're going to look at today when we compare these two and we're going to actually look at three comparisons in the Scripture between Antichrist and Christians. So let's begin in verse 18 by looking at a comparison of perseverance. Look at me in verse 18. It says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not at all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One. So we see first the perseverance comparison. In fact, in verse 18, it says something else. It says, is the last Time And actually, it says the last hour. Uh, the purpose he's saying there is since Christ came, we are in the last hour. You realize that Jesus could come back at any time. We're not guaranteed any more time in this earth. In fact, even during the time when John wrote this, he believed that Jesus could have come back right then. When Paul wrote his words, he believed that Jesus could have come back right then. We are in the last hour. God is in complete control as to how long that hour is. We don't know when he's coming back. He does. We're just waiting and anticipating for that time. He says, and because of this, he says this. He says, it's the last hour, and as you've heard, that Antichrist shall come. That's interesting. Now, we know who the Antichrist is. In other words, the image of the Antichrist, we see him in Scripture. In fact, the, these that John were writing to could have known about it because Daniel had written about it in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 9, and Daniel chapter 11. He wrote about the Antichrist in those. In fact, in a passage in Zechariah, he also wrote about the Antichrist in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. 
So the Old Testament declared it. Look, for lo, I'll raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those who be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that which is broken, nor feed that that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. That idle shepherd it's talking about there is the Antichrist. The one who's going to come to simply destroy and take what he can from Israel. And we see this so many times in Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself taught about this guy in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 15 to 25. Listen to what it says there. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them that are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and are they that suck on those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened there should be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is the Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall be false Christs and false prophets, and shall great signs and wonders, inasmuch that if there were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I've told you before. So we know that even Jesus taught about the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation. Now, a lot of people look at that passage in the book of Daniel, and they say, oh, well, that's when Antiochus Epiphanius slew a pig on the altar of God. Well, no, I'm telling you, the Antichrist is going to do something far worse than Antiochus Epiphanius when he goes into the temple of God, declares himself as God, sets up a statue, and tells the world to bow down to it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We know that the Antichrist is coming. Now, here's the thing. He could already be here. He could. Many times people have tried to speculate and tell you who he is. I've heard people say, well, it, was, it could have been Hitler. It could have been Stalin. It could have been Mussolini. It could have been Nero back then in the time of the biblical times. It could have been all kinds of people. There could be several people that could fulfill that role. But I promise you there is coming one who is going to set the stage for the end of times. And Revelation is going to spell it all out for us. And he's going to declare a He's going to declare peace between Israel and the Middle East. And within three and a half years, he's going to break that peace. And he's going to do everything he can to destroy Israel. You say, well, when will those things take place? Well, Paul kind of tells us about it in 2 Thessalonians 2. I'm just going to read the first four verses. He says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us as the day of Christ is at hand. See, the Thessalonians were having to deal with the fact that people said, Jesus has already come back. You've already missed it. And he says, he's not happened. It's not happened yet. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin, the hand of Christ, be revealed the son of perdition. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he is as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In other words, John says there's an Antichrist that's coming, and we know it's coming, and it's coming in the last hour, so we've got to be prepared. But then he says this statement in verse 18 Even now are there many Antichrists. Even now are there many Antichrists. Now you might ask the question, what do you mean? 
Even now there are many antichrists. What do you mean to say that there? He's not just talking about they're setting it up for the end. What they're talking about is simply this. That anybody that is against Christ is an antichrist. Because that's what the term means. Antichrist means, anti means against and then against Christ. So the idea is anybody, you say, well, wait a minute. I'm not a Christian, but I'm not against Christ. Well, you need to understand something. You're on one side or the other, whether you choose or not. So please understand, if you are not a Christian, you are an antichrist. You say, I would never call myself that. Well, John does. John calls you that. He says, anybody that is not for him is against him. So either you're on his side or you're not. If you're not on his side, you're against him. I just want to make that clear because that's what John's saying here. He wants you to understand that you've already made your decision. Now look at verse 19. This one is, is so important. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they not all are of us. One of the greatest detriments to the church today is people who claim to know Christ but don't live it. They claim it. They claim to know Christ, but they don't live it. When you look at this scripture, that's what it's saying. They went out from us, but they were never of us. Now, here's the thing. We've seen this happen in church before, right? You'll see people come down the aisle. They'll give their lives to Christ. We think they'll even get baptized, and then you never see them again in church. Or you'll see these people that come into church, they get saved, they get baptized, and then they're here on Sundays, but then Monday through Saturday, they're living like they used to live. They're no change. And people look at that and say, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. There's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites in church. We don't want anything to do with that. Can I just tell you something? Don't blame Jesus for Christians. You understand that, right? Christians will let you down. Christians will sin. Christians will fall short. Christians will make mistakes. We are going to mess up. Jesus never does. Don't blame Jesus for us. Please don't. Now, we should be looking like him. We should be examples of him. We should be imitating him. And just because you see someone who isn't. Can I tell you something? This is what drives me crazy sometimes. Don't all put us in the same category. Just because you've seen a few people that claim to be Christian that don't live it, don't put us all in the same category. I don't do that with car dealers. I don't do it with lawyers. I don't do that. So I pray you don't do it with pastors. And I pray most importantly you don't do it with Christians. Because I promise you, just as you can find somebody who's not living it, you can find somebody on the spectrum who is living it. He says, they went out from us because they were not of us. I'm telling you, can I please, please listen to me on this. There are plenty of people in church today who are going to die and go to hell. You realize, you realize hell is going to be full of good people. It's going to be full of good people. You say, oh, but good people aren't going to go. No, the, the Bible clearly tells us that hell is going to be full of good people. Because the only people that are going to go are going to be those that are on the narrow path that understand that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the only way to heaven. And by trusting in him for our salvation, that is it. So there are a lot of people in church that don't believe that, don't live that. There are even members in church that don't believe that and don't live that. So don't blame us for that. 
We got to understand that. I'm telling you, I was one of those. I grew up in church all my life. From the time I was a kid. But I was not real. I didn't have a relationship with God. It wasn't until I was 18 that I got saved. But I grew up that way. I lived that way. And I hope people didn't blame me for not coming to Christ because of the life that I lived. Because of what I claimed. But he clearly says this. They went out from us because they were not of us. You realize that Jesus even talked about this himself in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, Jesus said this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Listen to this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Oh God, didn't we, didn't we teach Sunday school for you? Oh God, didn't we, didn't we serve on a committee for you? Oh God, didn't I go to church for you every Sunday? Let me tell you something. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms your life and you're living in the will of God and you're unafraid to profess who Jesus is and what he's done for your life, if you're not living in that way, I'm here to tell you, you're lost. I mean, look at this. He tells this story right after verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. Let me tell you something. When trials and tribulations come upon the believer, you will endure. You will not blame Christ. You will not turn from Christ. You will trust Christ. You will persevere with Christ. You will press on because your foundation is solid. And everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall not liken unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. A lot of people say, well, why didn't God just kind of separate the two? Well, Jesus tells a parable about that of the wheat and the tares, and he allows the tares to grow up with the wheat. And you understand this, when the weeds get entangled in the roots of the vegetables, you kind of got to let them grow with them because you don't want to rip up the root. You don't want to rip up the weed in case you rip up the plant. And Jesus said, I'm going to let the good and the bad grow together. I'm going to let it continue on. But in the end, God's going to differentiate between the two. And he's going to separate them. It happens. We're growing together. And here's the truth. We've got to be careful that we have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. If you have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, no one can take it from you. John 10 talks about that. We're in the Father's hands, right? Listen to what. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never, get that, never, hear it again, never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I am a Father of one. When you're in the Father's hand, you ain't going anywhere. A lot of people say, oh, but, but Brother John, if I want to walk through his fingers, I can get through there. If you're a true Christian, you don't want to. You're not trying to escape. You're not trying to get away. You don't want to leave the Father's hands. You want him to hold you tighter. When you look at Scripture, the Bible tells us in Matthew 24, 13, he who perseveres to the end shall be saved. The truth is, is we're going to live it, we're going to love it, and we're going to lead by example as Christians. That's the truth of who we are. We're not going to walk away. But John said they went out from us. Why? Because they were never, ever of us. Can I tell you something? There was an example I believe John was thinking about. 
you got to remember for three years he walked around with Judas Iscariot too. For three years he got to see this man grow in the ways of Christ. He got to see this man when Jesus sent out the 12. Guess what? Judas went with him. So he probably made blind people see. He may have even cast out some demons. I think Jesus may have been talking about him in Matthew 7 amongst others. But John would remember Judas Iscariot. John would remember he was the treasure. He was trusted. You don't give money to somebody you don't trust. I mean, this is Judas. And so when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, isn't it amazing that when they said, when Jesus said that, they go, it's not I, is it? It's not me. You know, not one person pointed over and said, I bet it's old Judas. So when he went out and they thought that he went to go buy something for Jesus, when he came into the garden and he kissed him on the cheek, that's when they knew. Can you imagine it was the last second before they even knew he was the betrayer? John knew this guy. John had walked with this guy. John had talked with this guy. John had learned with this guy. John had done miracles with this guy. John had seen this guy. He looked like the epitome of a Christian. But he wasn't. Can I tell you something? There are some that can look the part. But Jesus knows the heart. Can I tell you something? You can fool me. And you can fool every person in this church, but you'll never fool Jesus. You know why? Because look, here's the comparison in verse 20 in the first part. But you have an unction from the Holy One. In other words, you have an anointing. When you get saved, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, He gives you the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. He's the promise. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to give you an encourager, a comforter, one who's going to walk beside of you. In Acts 1.8, he says, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be the dynamite in your life, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the world. Man, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, let me just tell you something. You know you got him. You can't fake it. You can't fake the Holy Spirit. You say, wait a minute, I've seen some of them televangelists. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. You can't fake the real Holy Spirit. You can't do it. He says, you've got this unction, this anointing. Can I just tell you something? Even right now as I'm speaking, you know in your heart whether he belongs or he's inside of you and you belong to him. We'll get to that in just a moment. But there's a comparison of perseverance. Number two, there's a comparison of truth. Look with me at the end of verse 20. It says, and you know... All things. I've not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. He says, you know. He says, you know who Jesus is. Isn't that amazing? You know who he is. John 1, 1, he's talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John 1, 14, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In John 8, 58, one of my favorites is when Jesus Christ declared, I am. Amen. Here's the thing, he hadn't declared that just once. He declared it numerous times. He says, I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection and life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. Jesus declared it over and over again. He declared God's holy covenant name. He said, I am God. 
If you're confused by that, let me help you. Thomas, when he saw Jesus Christ, finally, because he was the last of the disciples to see him after his resurrection, he said, unless I see the nail prints in his hand, unless I see and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. And Jesus shows up. Amen. Yeah. Come on. Come on. It's a dead guy, right? He shows up. Amen. And he looks at Thomas. He goes, hey, come here. Touch my hands. Yeah. Put your hand right here on my side. Don't be unbelieving any longer. Come see. Yeah. And you know what? Thomas doesn't go over and touch. He just simply says, my Lord and my God. Huh. You tell me somebody can resurrect themselves. You, you find them. Let me tell you something. If you don't believe me, go to Jerusalem. Go to where they have the tomb of Jesus. And guess what you'll find? It's still empty. It will remain empty. It will never be full again. It was a borrowed tomb and it was only borrowed for three days. He didn't need it any longer. The truth of the matter is he fulfilled prophecy. He did exactly what God said he would do. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one they were looking for. And here's the thing. If you know the truth, you don't doubt it. You don't worry about it. Here's the thing. I know that I know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of this world. He's God in human flesh. And he came down to die for your sins and mine. I know it. I don't ever doubt it. I don't think twice about it. And there's nothing you can say that can change my mind. You ought to have that kind of belief that nobody can change what you believe about Jesus. Nobody. There's no virus that can change my beliefs about Jesus. There's no government that can change my beliefs about Jesus. There's nobody, no atheist, no antagonist, no difficult person that can change what I believe about Jesus. Why? Because he's real and I know it and I see it and I live it and I believe it. And I hope you do too. He says, man, he says, you know this truth. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, you ought to be dogmatic when it comes to your knowledge of Jesus Christ. You ought to know who he is. You say, well, I don't know a whole lot about him. Then get to studying. Get to knowing him. Because I promise you, he wants to know you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And it's all right there in that book. Everything you need to know. Look at verse 22. Who was a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. Now this is interesting to me because a lot of people say, well, wait, I thought that was just his name, Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? Just, it's just not. Christ is a title. It means the Messiah, the promised one, the chosen one. That's what it means. That is his title. It is something that was given to him because he is the chosen one. He is the perfect one. He is the holy one. He's the savior of all mankind. He's the one that was promised in the Old Testament that fulfilled every scripture that was proclaimed about him, which I promise you there can be only one. There can be only one. And when I look at that, he says this, he says, and who's the liar? The one that denies that Jesus is the Christ. The one that denies that Jesus is God. The one that denies that Jesus came to do what he promised to do. You are a liar if you don't believe it. You say, how dare you call me a liar? I didn't. God did. He says, if you deny it, here's the thing. You know in your heart if it's true or not. The Bible says you suppress that truth. You've succumbed to everybody's whims and whams. And you listen to everything they say. And you don't want to believe the truth. Because it just might make you change. And so they suppress it. And the Bible makes it clear that there's one mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2.5 says the man Christ Jesus. 
This, this God came down among us according to Philippians chapter 2. I mean, look how powerful Philippians chapter 2 is. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, get this, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being founded in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. You better believe he's God. Now here's the thing. There are a lot of people out there that want to deceive you. That want you to believe something that's not scriptural. Their Gnosticism was going on at the time that John was writing. And Gnosticism was this idea that they had received some special knowledge. Gnosis meaning knowledge. They received some special knowledge. And not only had they received some special knowledge, but that the flesh had nothing to do with it. That there was a, a peace within us. A, that every one of us has a peace of God within us. And so that the flesh doesn't matter. We could do whatever we wanted in the flesh. Live however we wanted. But we were going to all go to heaven anyways. That's called universalism today. But several branches have come off of that. One called Ebionism, which says this. They deny the reality of the deity of Jesus Christ. They reject the virgin birth, maintaining that Jesus was born to Joseph and Mary. They believe that the Christ descended on him at his baptism and was taken away from him just before the resurrection. Can I tell you something? The title Christ didn't come upon him for three years and then taken away from him. He was the Christ from the beginning all the way to the end. He was Jesus Christ from the beginning all the way to the end. He did not change. He did not receive some special blessing. He is the Son of God who came to die for your sins and mine. But then there's also a group called the Arianists. And they believe that Jesus was not eternal but was created. And that God created everything through Jesus. But Jesus was just a demigod. Let me tell you something. You're demi-stupid if you believe it. <laughs> He's not a demigod. He is God. He is exalted. He is glorious. He's magnificent. He's holy. He's the creator. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the first. He's the last. There's nobody like him. Nobody like him. So to sit there and declare that he's anything less than God is to declare you don't know my God. And I'm here to tell you, he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He died because he loves you and he cares for you, but he wants you to know the truth. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. You can't claim to know God without knowing Jesus. You just can't. Let's look at the last point, and that is a comparison of abiding. Look in verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which you have had from the begin- heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Jesus himself had talked about this in John chapter 8, that his words ought to abide within us. They ought to remain within us. John 8 and verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. You can prove it by continuing in the Word, by continuing the things that you've been taught by God. You abide in those things. First Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, Paul says a similar statement about abiding in the words and the things that God has given to us, that we abide in those truths. He goes on in verse 25, he says, And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. 
even eternal life. You know how we have eternal life? We have eternal life because God has given us the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 13 tells us this. It says, Hereby I know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. You say, well, what does that mean if we've got the promise of the Spirit and we've got that guarantee of eternal life? What well, comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. You see what that says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14? It's so beautifully written by Paul and it's so powerful that we need to understand what the Spirit does within us. It says this, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom I whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. How many of you ever watched the movie Toy Story? Yeah, I figured most of you have watched that. If you got kids, you probably watched it. And on the bottom of Woody's foot is written the word what? Andy. Oh, yeah, y'all did watch it. <laughs> Andy sealed his name on that doll to show its possession. God sealed you with a Holy Spirit to show you he possesses you. You are his. Signed, sealed, and delivered. You are his. You have been bought with a price. And you are precious in his sight. And he has sealed you, get this, until the day of redemption, until Jesus comes back, the Holy Spirit seals you. And then guess what? Then he just takes you home. And what a blessing. You are sealed. You have eternal life because of what God has done for you. But verse 26, so be careful. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. In other words, the Antichrist are going to try to deceive you. Oh, that's not true. That can't happen. It'll never happen. There's no such thing as eternal life. There's no such thing as heaven. You can't believe what Jesus Christ has done for you. They want to seduce you and deceive you. Can I tell you something? Jesus even talked about this, that in the last days, they're going to try to deceive even the elect. They're going to try to deceive and pull you away from the truth. Paul experienced this in Galatians 1 when he said, don't let somebody come in and preach a different gospel to you. Don't allow them to drag you away from the truth. If you know, you know, don't let them seduce you, don't let them deceive you, and don't let them drive you away from it. But verse 27 is the sealer here. Look at this. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. If the truth and the Holy Spirit are within you, you don't need anybody else to testify to you. You already know. You see, that's the whole reason why John wrote this book was that you might know that you know that you're saved. His whole purpose, and he says this, he says, nobody needs to teach you because here's the truth. I can sit here and I can preach a whole other hour, but I'll not change your mind. And I don't want to change your mind. It's not up to me. It's up to the Holy Spirit to change you. But you can sit there and you can look over your own life. You can look over what God has done in your life. God is real and you know he's real. I know he's real. I knew he was real before I got saved. When I was 15 and I was in a car crash and I should have died. I should not be here today. But God brought me out. I would have died and gone straight to hell that day, I promise you. I had been faking it real good, but not enough for God. 
But God saved my life and he brought me through that. Why? Because he knew what he would do in me. And he knows what he can do in you too. If you let him. You see, God worked in me before. And I can tell you this, man. There's so many stories. When I look over my life, I can see God's hand at work. You can too. Don't let anybody take that away from you. You can see how God's provided for you when there was no provision. You can see how God could t- took care of you even when you put yourself in foolish situations. You can see God's protective hand. And anytime you drive on 40, you can see God's protective hand. That's the thing. You can see God and you know he's real. The question is, are you going to keep suppressing the truth and keep putting it under your foot? Or are you going to let the Holy Spirit take over in your life and change you? That's your choice. God's not going to force you to do it. He's not going to force you to know him. He's not going to force you to choose him. He gives you an opportunity. He wants you to know how much he loves you, how much he's done for you. He wants you to know that he wants you. It's your choice. You choose whether you want to receive what he's done for you or not. But I'm here to tell you. You say, well, I'm not against Jesus. I'm just not for him. Again, let me make it clear. If you're not for him, you are against him. There's no in-between. There is no middle ground. There's no purgatory you get to go to in between. There's no place in between heaven and hell. That's the only two eternal destinations. There is no happy medium. There is no returning. There's none of this stuff that's going on. There's heaven and there's hell. And it's based on whether you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior or you have denied him as your Lord and Savior. That's it. That's the line. That's where it's been drawn. And you have to make a choice. And in your heart, you know whether you're his or not. You know it. I can't tell you. Nobody else can tell you. But you know it. That's what I want you to do this morning. Investigate your heart. If the Spirit is real inside of you, I promise you, He'll show you He's real inside of you. And if He's not, He'll tell you you need Him. Investigate your heart to know whether you're an Antichrist or a Christian.